This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome. It's a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 14th day of June 2023. It is a uh, beautiful morning so far here in uh, western North Carolina, but we are expecting some big storms, but hopefully we'll get this... uh, uh, in before the storms come, and uh, and my satellite internet uh, continues to cause me cause me trouble. Uh, we are on this morning. Hopefully, I think I've got everything squared away now. We uh, have been dealing with that for the last couple of days, and uh, I think we're good now. I've never been so big a fan of Elon Musk as I am right now. Um, his Starlink uh, satellite internet uh, system is supposed to be expanding down here. Uh, sometime this year, and I can't get rid of HughesNet fast enough, so I'm looking forward to that. And, and, and we're still hoping for fiber optic one of these days, but I'm also not holding my breath. So anyway, welcome to the uh, the wake up call. I was just listening to the news, and I, I had to laugh. There was that report on climate change, and the woman uh, uh, was qu- quoted by saying, uh, "Well, we all agree that uh, climate change is a problem, and we need to uh, you know fix our infrastructure." Wait a minute. If you've ever lived in the South or traveled much in the South, yeah, people down here don't believe that stuff. I, I have a neighbor that says it's an absolute hoax, that there's no such thing as climate change. You know, and uh, he's not the only one down here. I'm, I'm telling you what, folks, uh, if you don't believe in climate change, uh, I don't I don't know what's wrong with you. Seriously, it, with the crazy increase with the uh, the storms and the the you know not just the thunderstorms and the tornadoes i mean the tornadoes in this country have gone up exponentially the blizzards it's not you know global warming and climate change doesn't mean that it's just getting warmer it means we have more severe swings in weather and unless you've been living in a cave or under a rock how can you not see that uh, our climate is changing uh, incredibly here uh, in the world. And I, you know, how about the heat waves in Europe? People are dying in Europe because over there they don't have air conditioning, you know, uh, because a lot of these old buildings are, can't handle air conditioners or don't have any central air or they don't have the ability to put room air conditioners in. People die over there. But no, there's no, there's no climate change now. That's the same as our former president. <laughs> who continues to say that he has never done anything wrong in his entire life. Um, So I I watched yesterday for, God, it must have been two and a half hours, the coverage of his uh, arraignment uh, in federal court. Now, of course, cameras aren't allowed in the courtroom, so what did we see? We saw a bunch of talking heads for two and a half hours talking about 
what could be happening. And finally, when they come out, the people, the reporters that were in there, they're not allowed to have recording you know, or any electronic devices or anything. So you had to wait till they came out. And then, of course, everybody's telling you everything that they saw. And oh, my God. And then Trump turns this thing, I mean, into a uh, a campaign event. You know, as soon as it's over, he's going to a restaurant in Miami and talking about, you know, uh, government being out of control, yada, yada. Hey, come on. He continues with the witch hunt thing. They have this guy on tape saying, well, you know, I could have declassified these when I was president, but I didn't. And, you know, you can look at it. They're still a secret. You shouldn't be looking at these. But it's still a secret, but here you go. You know, I mean, ah, Jesus, God almighty. Um, you know, and here's the thing at some point, this is going to come back to bite him in the ass. And I think it's starting to now there was a poll out today. 61% of Republicans in this country right now are saying enough. How about you start telling us what you're going to do for this country instead of worrying about covering your ass and telling everybody what a great guy you are and what a witch hunt this is? How about telling us what you're going to do if we decide to vote for you for president? This is the Republicans, 61% of them. And that number is just going to continue to go up. You know, and... You know, we're starting to see some of these other Republican guys going after him now. Even Mike Pence, his former vice president, who's been defending him, um, or a sort of lukewarm defense, even said yesterday, based on this, he says it's it's hard to defend what he did if what's in this thing is true. Nikki Haley has said, you know, he was incredibly reckless. You know, uh, Chris Christie is killing him. What's going to be interesting is when, you know, Ron DeSantis, who – Please, God, don't let him get elected. But uh, when Ron DeSantis starts to take off on him, it's going to be uh, something. But it's just crazy. I mean, a guy gets indicted on 37 charges. By the way, you know, you keep saying this is a witch hunt. And you keep saying that the, the Democrats are out to get you and, uh, you know, we're weaponizing the uh, the justice system to come after me because I'm being persecuted. Let understand something. The people that decided to to indict him was not Joe Biden, was not the Justice Department. Now, they brought the charges, but it was a grand jury of people in Florida, which, by the way, is <laughs> greatly Republican. Um, and, you know, they've got a, you know, they've got the, and he lives in Florida. It was people that live in Florida that were on this grand jury that were chosen that decided to indict him. It wasn't it wasn't Joe Biden. Which, by the way, it's always funny because they want to talk about how senile Joe Biden is and how old he is and how frail he is. But suddenly he's a mastermind when, it, when it's uh, against Donald Trump. All of a sudden, Biden is this, uh, this mastermind genius when he's not senile. But anyway, just ugh. we're going to this is going to go on and on and on because they're saying that this may not even it might be a year before this goes to trial. A year. God help us. And we're going to, I mean, uh, fatigue. And, you know, that's the problem that Trump and his people face. When the Republican voters start getting fatigued by this, you're in trouble. And it's coming. It's coming. Uh, The NHL season ended. So after the night after the Denver Nuggets wrapped up the NBA championship, the Las Vegas Golden Knights absolutely 
destroy the Florida Panthers in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals last night. They beat them 9-3. Nine goals in a hockey game. Folks, that's like scoring... That's like scoring 60 in a football game. Nine goals in a hockey game. Un- crazy. Um, beat them 9-3. They win their first Stanley Cup championship. Look, this team has only been around since 2017. So in six years, they've been in two finals and won one of them. And uh, hats off to Bruce Cassidy. I was a big fan of his when he was the coach of the Bruins. The Bruins fired him this year, despite or, or last year, despite the fact they had a great season, fired him. Within a week, he had a job with Las Vegas, and then a year after that, he has a Stanley Cup championship. I am thrilled for him. He basically got run out of Boston by the players because the players thought he was too tough on them. Wah, 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 wah. And they run him out of town, and now he wins a title. And, and you know, the people talk there about um, – what a great coach he was and the intensity that he brought to that locker room and how he was the reason that they won this thing. He said he wanted to win as badly as anybody else in that locker room. So good for them. Mark Stone with a hat trick in this one. Uh, It was the first hat trick in the Stanley Cup final uh, since like 1996. Peter Forsberg did it for Colorado. Uh, and Jonathan Marchessault, who, by the way, was let go by the Florida Panthers in the expansion draft when Vegas came in, uh, ends up winning the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP. So uh, hockey over for a year, and, and now uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about this too. The NHL Finals. The NHL, right? It's it's you think think about the original six teams, you know, Chicago and Boston and New York and Montreal, you know, all up in the Northeast or Canada, cold weather cities. The NHL finals this year were the Florida Panthers in the Miami area against Las Vegas in the middle of the desert. That is not <laughs> what the people that drew up the NHL when it was starting ever thought would happen. But uh, congratulations to the Golden Knights. Now, on to uh, baseball from last night. And um, the Boston Red Sox lose again last night. They lose 7-6 to the Colorado Rockies, the team that came in with the worst record in the National League. The Red Sox have now lost two in a row to the Colorado Rockies, the worst team in the National League, I repeat. They've played three straight extra inning games. First time that's happened since 1996. Look, you know, after they beat the Yankees two out of three, you start to believe in this team a little bit. And then they come back and they lose two straight extra inning games to the Rockies. And, you know, the thing that drives you nuts is that it wasn't just that they lost the games. It's how they lost the games. You know, on Monday night, they lose the games – because of errors. They lose the game because of errors. Last night, it's because, you know, we can't pitch. You know, Jonathan Garza comes in. They don't have Kenley Jansen available. Uh, they don't have uh, Josh Winkowski available because they've, you know, they've had to use their bullpen an awful lot. So, you know, they somehow get two scoreless innings out of Corey Kluber. You know, and they managed to, after being down 4 nothing, they managed to get back in this game and tie it up and take it to extra innings. But what do they have left? Jonathan Garza. Oh, good Lord. Or Justin Garza, I'm sorry. 
So he comes on. Of course, the automatic runner starts at second base. He walks the first guy he faces. Then he gives up a, a two-run double down the left field line. Uh, and then a sacrifice fly, and the Rockies have then scored three runs in the top of the 10th, and the Red Sox are you know dead in the water, or so we thought. Then, of course, the, the bottom of the 10th comes, and everybody's hopes get up because what happens? Rafi Devers hits a two-run bomb to right field, his second home run of the game. So you have some hope. And then then uh, uh, Jaron Duran gets on. He walks. You know, so now it's like, you know, well, with one out, he's on first base. You think, okay, you got to steal second base, right? Because he'd already earlier in the game after getting on, he had stole second and stole third in the same at bat. But you're thinking, all right, get him on. We steal second base. You've got Reese McGuire up. Maybe he punches one into the outfield and you tie this thing up. Well, unfortunately, A, uh, Duran didn't go because Reese McGuire ended up swinging at the second pitch he saw and, you know, strikes out. And then, it, you know, I mean, it's just one thing after another. The Red Sox starters going into yesterday's game for the last three weeks had the fourth best ERA in the majors. They had a 3-4-2 ERA. And they had allowed two runs or fewer in 18 of those 24 games since you know since that time period. And they had had four consecutive what are considered quality starts. Well, Cutter Crawford got the start yesterday, and that was that went out the window quick. He gave up four runs in four innings. He got three in the first inning, and just you know the Sox were playing catch up the entire game. The Red Sox have now lost seven of the last ten. And it's just, you know, and it's 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 errors. I mean, the, the errors have just, we've talked about that here a lot. You know, it, the, the errors are killing them. But they are one and ten against the National League this season. Now, the Red Sox, going into this year in interleague play, you know, American League versus National League. The Red Sox had the best record of any team in baseball against the other league in interleague play. Well, this year they are one and ten. They they get swept by the Pirates. They get swept by the Reds. I mean, it's just and now they lose two to the Rockies. And you're like, what? What has happened to this team? So. My question now, and I said, you know, they had these these big series coming up, and, and this was kind of the make-or-break time for the Red Sox. They needed to do well in these next four or five series to, to make a determination as to where this team was at. Well, you've now lost the first two games in that stretch. You've got Colorado again tonight. God help you if you lose again tonight. Then you have the Yankees coming in for three. The Minnesota, you go to visit Minnesota. Minnesota has finally started hitting the baseball. Carlos Correa is getting hot. God help us. But you've got to go to Minnesota for four games after that. So if you lose three to Colorado and then you have three against the Yankees and four against Minnesota, this may not go well for the Red Sox. Oh, and then you get to play Chicago, which is supposedly going to be a break, but the way the Red Sox play, you know, they could win two out of three. And then you got Miami and Toronto. And then the American League West leading Texas Rangers to start off July. 
So my question now is is leaning more towards what do the Red Sox do? Are they do they do they throw up the white flag? Is it time for the Red Sox to acknowledge that this team is just not very good? They're 33 and 35. You're two games under 500 with what? 94 games left. That's a lot of time. I get it. And you're only five and a half out of the wild card. Is it is it possible that you could come back? Of course. Is this team as bad as they are playing lately? Do you think that the return of Trevor Story in July or August is going to be that big of a difference maker? You already know you're not going to have Chris Sale until, at best, the middle of August. And when he comes back, what's he going to be? I mean, they're going to baby him. You thought they were babying him before? It's going to be even worse now. So do you just acknowledge that we're done and start looking at next year? And I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and the Red Sox are going to have to make a determination as to whether Bloom is going to be the guy running baseball operations going forward or not. And if you decide that he is, do you now say to him, if you are the ownership group, okay, 2023 is a lost cause. Let's start looking at, of the guys that are going to be free agents next year or, or the year after, how many of them do we want to retain? For instance, Kike Hernandez is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. He signed a one-year contract. Kike Hernandez is very versatile. He can play center. He can play second. He can play short. Well, they've now announced he's not going to play short anymore. He's committed 14 errors, which leads the major leagues, by the way, and 12 of those 14 errors have been on throws. It's amazing. He can get to so many balls, but then he throws it away. So Alex Cora announced yesterday that he is not going to be the shortstop anymore. He's going to play second base or he's going to play center field. You know, he's still an option late in game if you need to move him into short, but he is not going to be the starting shortstop. Hallelujah. But he's also going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Is it time? Do you look to see if somebody that's looking for a utility player might be interested in Kike Hernandez? What are you going to get back for him? You're not going to get a ton. But you could probably get a decent prospect or a couple of middling prospects. It might be worth a shot. Alex Verdugo is in his last year of arbitration. Is he going to be a cornerstone of this team? Adam Duvall signed a one-year contract. Is this a guy you want to keep on your team going forward? With the with the uh, the uprise of Jaron Duran, what he has done in the outfield, to me, one of those guys is expendable. If you decide you want to keep Duval, great. Then that makes Adam uh, Alex Verdugo expendable because now you can put Jaron Duran. You've got Duran, you've got uh, Yoshida, and Duval. Or instead of Duval, you have Verdugo. Whatever, but you have options there. And you have Rob Refsnyder, who you've signed to a contract extension for next year. So you, you've already got, if you keep one of those guys, Duvall or Verdugo, you've got four outfielders for next year. So one of them is expendable. Is now the time to start looking at it? There are teams out there that would jump to get an Alex Verdugo. 
or to get uh, a guy like Adam Duvall. I mean, the San Francisco Giants are a perfect example. Mitch Hanniger uh, just fractured his forearm in the game last night. Got hit by a pitch, fractured his forearm. He's going to be out for a while. You know, the Giants are kind of in the mix in the National League. They might be interested. Is it worth Is it worth doing? And then the big chip is you've signed Kenley Jansen to a two-year deal. And, look, Kenley Jansen's been great for the most part. He's had really one bad outing for the Red Sox. But is it worth – I mean, that's the guy you could bring back the most for, especially considering he is under contract for next year as well. You could get something for him. Is it worth doing? And then say, okay, we're going to make Chris Martin our closer, which isn't a bad move. You've got John Schreiber who's going to be coming back from the, the injured list. Is Could he be the closer? What about Josh Winkowski? Could he be the closer? I mean, they've got options. They're not the – they don't have the – the cachet that a a you know that a guy like uh, Kenley Jansen has, but that's what you could get the most return on. Is it time? I don't have the answer to that because I'm an eternal optimist. When it comes to the Red Sox, not with everything, but when it comes to the Red Sox. You're going to have a hard time convincing me this team can't stay in the race and can't be a viable playoff contender until the fat lady sings, until it's, you know, middle of August, beginning of September, and you, you realize, you've, you know, that the math isn't working out. But I could just as easily, I mean, look, we saw this team go on a tear. In May. So just as easily as they're they're struggling right now, they could turn this thing around, and I would hate to see them just throw up the white flag now. But you could also understand if the Red Sox ownership decides it's the way to go. You've also got, you know, you also have a guy like Bobby Dahlbeck who is absolutely raking down in AAA. Now, he struggled in the majors. I, I think, But I think part of the reason he has struggled in the majors is because I don't think the Red Sox have given him enough chances. I think that they keep bringing him up and they keep screwing around with him. You know, he's – look, they they brought Tristan Costas up this year to play first base. And Tristan Costas was hitting under 200 for most of the season. He's recently got it over 200 and he's starting to swing the bat better. But they put him in the lineup every day and let him play. I don't think Bobby Dahlbeck has gotten – that kind of commitment from the Red Sox. You know, he'll play for a couple, he would play for a couple of days and then he wouldn't play for a few days. And, you know, it's hard to get in a rhythm. So, I, I you know, there's there's teams out there, I guarantee you, that would love to get their hands on Bobby Dalbeck. Guaranteed. You also have a guy like Nick Pavetta in the bullpen. Because... He stinks in a rotation. He's been okay out of the bullpen, but there are teams that are dying for starting pitching. And you could get something for him. So, you know, my question to you and, and, and even to myself is, is it time? When is it time if it's not now? How long do you wait? You know, and probably one of the reasons I would suck at being a, a general manager 
in baseball is because I would have a hard time giving up on my players. I know I go on rants here sometimes on the show and I'd be like, fire everybody, <laughs> you know, but, but I still believe in a lot of these guys. I do. You know, I you know Justin Turner is another guy they signed him to a one year deal. There's teams that would love to get their hands on him, but I'd love to lock Justin Turner up for, you know, a couple more years. I love this guy. I love this guy. Now he made a big error last night. Um, I get that, but I love Justin Turner. I love what he brings to the clubhouse. Uh, he does a lot of the stuff that JD Martinez did when he was here, but I love him. You know, I have a hard time giving up on some of these guys. So. If it's me, I'm waiting until the end of July, till the trade deadline is absolutely there, because then I think you you'll you'll know for sure. But you can also maximize your return, perhaps now, when teams are still in it and maybe more willing to give up more because they know they would have that player for a longer period of time this year, and it might help them in their playoff position. So it's a tough call. But perhaps the first call that has to be made is whether Bloom stays or not. But, you know, uh, it's just... Uh, you, watching last night's game was just... You know, constantly having to play from behind and then working your ass off and getting it into extra innings and having, you know, having an error hurt you, uh, you know, on Monday... And and then having and then having a pitcher that comes out of the bullpen, you know, and walks guys. And he got behind before he gave up the double last night. He got behind in the count. He got behind, you know, and he keeps. So then you've got to throw the ball in the zone. And you know, what do you expect? You know, uh, you're going to give up hits when you do that. So you know, it's just it's just kind of maddening to watch. And and we'll see. You know, again, I may feel – look, they beat Colorado tonight and then they win two out of three from the Yankees uh, when they come in to Boston this weekend. Maybe I feel completely differently. I don't know. You know, that's part of the, the, the fun and the agony about baseball all at the same time, right? It's a 162-game season. And when you are somebody that watches as much baseball as I do and is as rabid a follower of a team as I am – you know, it's like, you know, every day it's it's like a roller coaster ride unless, you know, unless you have one of those teams like, you know, that like the Rays right now where, you know, up until the last week or so where they can't lose, you know, it gets it gets uh, exhausting. You know, I mean, my life, my wife looks at me, it's like, oh, my God, will you relax? And, and you know, and she, does she have a, she has a point. But when you are a avid sports fan. And, and an avid follower of a team, it is hard to relax. And the Red Sox have made that even harder this year. 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Hey, this is Flag Day, right? I believe. Isn't the 14th of June Flag Day? So a happy, happy Flag Day. Um... The Yankees and the Mets played their Subway Series opener uh, of the 2023 season. Uh, two games at City Field this week, and then later in the season they will play two games at Yankee Stadium. 
this was a wild one. The Yankees come back to beat the Mets seven to six, um, and Max Scherzer got roughed up yet again for the New York Mets. And when you look at this Mets team, and I mean, look, they are um, in a free fall right now. You know, and Steve Cohen has said he's not going to panic, but nobody could blame him if he did. The Mets have now lost nine of the last ten games. Uh, Max Scherzer gave up five runs and six hits in the fourth inning. He ends up leaving the game after three and a third Seven runs, or excuse me, seven hits, six runs. Gave up a couple of bombs. His ERA is now 4.45. And, uh, you know, he's made 11 starts. This is not the same Max Scherzer. You know, and whether, I, I don't know that it's age. And, you know, if you look at, you know, you look inside the numbers a little bit. In 56 and two-thirds innings, he struck out 60 guys. And he's only walked 14. So he's not, you know, those numbers are okay. His walks and hits to innings pitch, also not horrible. It's 1.24. You know, so, but the home run ball has been the problem. And he doesn't have the gas to just blow it by people. This 4.45 ERA, now we still have a long way to go in the season, right? But Max Scherzer, his career ERA is 3.14. Hell, last year for the Mets, in 23 starts, he had an ERA at 2.29. All right, so this this guy is, he's not right. I don't know whether it's, you know, I don't I don't want to say it's age yet. I mean, he is getting on in years, but you have to start wondering and you have to always look at the Mets. Look, they signed him to a huge contract, right? He's making like 40 million dollars a year. They signed Justin Verlander to a similar contract for about 40 million dollars a year. They've invested almost 80 million bucks into two pitchers that are, you know, like 38 and 40 years old. But Max Scherzer in 11 starts has already given up 10 home runs this year. He's given up two or more home runs three times in a game this year. You know, his last two starts, he's pitched nine innings. He's given up 18 hits and 11 runs in his last two starts. You know, and in nine innings, he struck out 12 guys, which is great, and he hasn't walked anybody. But you can't keep giving up bombs like this. So... Pedro Severino wasn't very good for the Yankees either. But Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu with home runs off of uh, Scherzer, and then Josh Donaldson with a sacrifice fly in the sixth to broke the tie uh, after Brendan Nimmo misplayed a ball in center. And uh, the Yankees end up winning it 7-6. Uh, the, the, uh, the Mets had another pitcher thrown out for a sticky substance on his hand. Reliever Drew Smith got tossed, which means he's going to face a 10-game suspension. It happened just before the seventh inning. They said he had an illegal foreign substance. And Smith is like, he said, they said, both of my hands were too sticky. He says, I was surprised. I haven't done anything different all year. 
He said it's sweat and rosin. I don't know what else to say. Nothing's changed. He said, I just think the process is too arbitrary. You know, and if indeed it's just sweat and rosin, wow, I don't know what baseball is supposed to do. Now, one of the things that's been talked about, and, and it's becoming more and more evident that Major League Baseball needs to address this, is they need to now have baseballs that are pre-sticky. The Japanese League baseballs have a substance on them that makes the ball tacky. Not sticky like, you know, like you, you hold it in your hand and it won't fall off, but, you know... I don't, if you've never held a baseball, a new baseball, out of the box, they are slick as hell. Now, all the balls are rubbed up, uh, you know, with mud and dirt and everything else to try to make them not. But the balls are, the leather is still slick. You can do whatever you want to it. That ball still gets slick. It's why sometimes you see, you know, even fielders, you'll see balls just slip out of their hands. The ball is sticky. And there's been talk about changing the baseball so that they're, pre, they're, they're pre-tacky. They need to do something to stop this kind of crap because it's just ridiculous. I mean, I get why they're trying to do it. They're trying to cut down on, you know, pitchers that are using that were using that spider tack to get extra spin on the ball. And, you know, I, I get it. But all these pitchers that have been tossed this year all say the same thing, that it's sweat and rosin. So what do you do? Do you outlaw the use of rosin completely? You really can't do that because it then becomes a safety issue because if the ball is too slick and a guy's throwing 98 miles an hour and the ball slips out of his hand, somebody is going to get killed. There's going to be a batter that's going to get killed, and we've seen guys get hit several times this year where the ball just gets away from guys. And I'm not saying it's just because they're not able to use the uh, the, the super sticky spider tack or any of that, but somebody's going to get killed. So Major League Baseball has to figure this out because it's just silly. And now the Mets are going to lose Drew Smith for 10 games. So, but anyway, the uh, two-game series will conclude tonight. Great pitching matchup on paper or you or, or in history. Garrett Cole is going to pitch for the Yankees tonight. He's had a great year, 7-1-2-8-4. His only loss, by the way, was to the Red Sox. Uh, and he's going to face his former teammate, Justin Verlander. But Justin Verlander, at 40 years old, has not been very good this year. He's two and three with a four eight five ERA for forty million dollars a year. And look, Verlander's just as frustrated. He, you know, in an interview the other day, he said, "Look, um, I'm just not right. I get it, you know, and it's nothing physical. I'm just not right right now." And he expects better out of himself, and you know, and the Mets need better. They need better. Look, he and Scherzer and Carrasco, those guys got to carry the the freight for these guys right now. And they're not doing it. You know, and Steve Cohen, who spent $355 million, is in a position now where do you go looking for another pitcher? But nobody's going nobody's gonna to trade the Mets. And you can't add more salary at this point. Well, he could, I guess. But uh, so that would be an interesting matchup tonight. It should be, theoretically, should be a good one. But uh, we'll see how that plays out, see if Verlander can kind of figure things out a little bit. Uh, the Orioles stay hot. They beat the Blue Jays last night 11-6. Uh, they pounded out, uh, what, uh, 17 hits last night? They have won five straight. They are 18 games over 500, are the Orioles. 
They are 42-24. and 24. It's the first time they have been that far over 500 since 2016, which, by the way, was the last time that they made the playoffs. They hit four home runs last night, including, including a grand slam by Gunnar Henderson. That kid was just named the American League Player of the Week uh, this week after he hit uh, three homers and six RBIs in five games the previous week. He's 21 years old. He went three for five last night, including the uh, the grand slam off of Chris Bassett. He start look. He entered June. He was only hitting 201. His batting average is already up to 246. He's got 11 hits in his last four games. He's homered in three straight. I mean, he's just on fire right now. Uh, Dean Kramer with the uh, win last night. Two runs, eight hits over six innings. Picked up his seventh win of the year. And the Baltimore Orioles are as hot as they come right now. They are just four games. Four games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. Who would have thought, right, that that it looked like Tampa was going to run away and hide? But last night, Tampa got beat for the second straight game. The team with the best record in baseball got beat by the Oakland Athletics, the team with the worst record in baseball. Two one-run games. They win, I think it was 4-3 to three on Monday night. Last night, the A's win 2-1. to one. You know, and that's it's one of the it's one of the things that's great about baseball, in my opinion. It's one of the reasons why I follow the sport so closely. You just never know. It's one of you look. You get a pitcher that's hot. You just you never know. It's the same thing in hockey. You know, there are times when it doesn't matter how bad a team is. If there's a goalie that's hot, you know, uh, and can just stop everything coming his way. Funny things happen. And last night, what a performance uh, Oakland got out of a guy that you couldn't pick out of a lineup. His name is Hogan Harris. Now, Oakland used an opener. They used uh, a guy for an inning to start the game. And then Hogan Harris comes in in the second. He throws seven innings, gives up four hits in one run. Strikes out two, doesn't walk anybody. Picks up his second win of the season. And uh, a great job uh, by May, who came on in the ninth. Uh, to get his third save of the season, and the Tampa Bay Rays have now lost twice to Oakland. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, look, let's not get carried away. Uh, Oakland is still 19-50. and 50. But the Rays, when they are not at home, are not the same team. The Rays are 31-7 and seven in Tampa. When they leave Tampa, they are 17-15. and 15. They're still over 500 on the road, but they are not the same dominant team away from the trop for whatever reason than they are on the road. Uh, they will play again the third game today. Uh, Tyler Glass now will get the start for uh, the Rays, and it'll be Luis Medina who has really struggled for Oakland. He has an ERA of seven and a half. Uh, I expect Tampa will bounce back tonight, but then again, I didn't think Tampa would win the first two games, so uh, I guess you never know. Um, yesterday was a reverse boycott night in Oakland. It was a group of fans. They all got together and they decided that they were going to reverse boycott and they were all going to come and protest and they were all going to, you know, they want the Oakland owner to sell the team because he wants to move the team to Vegas. Well, on the same day they were having the reverse boycott, the uh, city council in Las Vegas okayed public funding for the A's new stadium. So, uh, it, and, and that was iffy, and it looks like it's going to happen now. So when their lease is up in Oakland in 2024, 
it looks like the A's will be moving to Las Vegas for the 2025 season unless something miraculous happens. Well, last night in this reverse boycott, they had only been averaging about 10,000 fans a game. 28,000 people came out last night. Season high attendance. Um, the first 7,000 people that showed up all got T-shirts that were fan-funded that uh, said sell the team, uh, you know, uh, and uh, stay in Oakland, right? And the atmosphere was great. When the game was over, the fans were throwing, you know, stuff onto the field because they were, you know, still pissed off and because, uh, of course, they had already gotten news that the uh, – the funding had gone through in Las Vegas, but it was a great atmosphere last night during the game. During the entire game, the fans were yelling at the team owner, John Fisher. Um, I don't think it's going to matter. I think they're going to move. I think, you know, it's, it's a shame, but you can't – look, you can't blame John Fisher. Here's what you can blame John Fisher for, not spending money. And Hal Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, actually addressed that yesterday. He felt that, you know, these guys that are the low spenders, he says, it's not good for the game. It's just not. The fact that we have teams like Oakland that spent $58 million. Think about this now. We just talked about the fact that Max Scherzer is getting $40 million a year from the Mets. The Oakland A's spent $58 million on their entire roster. And this is after they get millions and millions of dollars from the uh, revenue sharing for the teams that go over the luxury tax threshold. So anything they go over, I think this year it's $225 million or $230 million. For every dollar they go over that, they get taxed a percentage. And that money is spread around to the lower revenue teams around the league. So you get millions of dollars from that. You get millions of dollars from the national TV rights, and you get millions of dollars from your local TV rights. I guarantee you, between the luxury tax money and all the media rights, I guarantee you that Oakland got more than $58 million, which means John Fisher is not reinvesting that money. And the idea behind the luxury tax was that teams were, were supposed to reinvest that money into their teams, into payroll. And we have a lot of teams around the league that are not doing that. So Hal Steinbrenner and a lot of the other owners are irked about it. And there is talk that, you know, they may put in a system where teams that don't spend a minimum amount on payroll may not qualify for revenue sharing. You know, there's been talk about having a salary, a hard salary cap where you can't spend over a certain amount. Now, the players are going to rebel against that because obviously salaries have gotten out of control in Major League Baseball, and the players will strike if they try to put a salary cap in. But I firmly believe there should be a salary floor. There should be a minimum amount required to be spent. There should be. And what is that number? I don't know, $100 bucks. I think that's fair. But you had two teams last night in Tampa and Oakland that barely spent $130 million between them. Oakland spent $58 million this year, and Tampa has spent $75 million. Now, yeah, it's hard to argue with Tampa. They spent $75 million, and they have the best record in baseball. 
right? And and the the teams that don't spend money will point to the Rays and say, yeah, but look at them. So how can you tell us we have to spend this amount? Well, you know, the A's have been horrid for years. You know, the Pirates have been horrid for years. You know, there's there's a lot of teams out there that just the Reds don't want to spend money. You know, they wait until players, are, you know, they, they, they do well, and then as soon as you got to start paying them, you get rid of them. That's, that's Oakland does the same thing. So there should be a minimum. I 100% agree with that. It's 51 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 53 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. Just got a couple of minutes left this morning. Uh, Around the uh, American League West yesterday, the uh, division-leading Texas Rangers lose. Uh, So the Rangers lead now just three-and-a-half over Houston. Houston uh, with a win last night, so they are three-and-a-half back. The Angels won last night, so they are four-and-a-half back. So things are getting very, very tight in the AL West Uh, uh, the Rangers lose to the Angels 7-3. Uh, the Angels are hot as a firecracker right now. They have won eight of their last nine games, three straight, eight of nine. They are seven games over five hundred for the first time since May 27th of last year. And uh, things are getting interesting. Shohei Otani on base all five times last night. He had two hits, and then he walked twice, and then drew an intentional walk. Uh, he also extended his hitting streak to 10 straight games. He scored twice, stole his 10th base of the season, and I was told he sold a couple of bags of peanuts. Uh, the Rangers are in a bit of a slide right now. They have lost three straight. They have lost five of six. Still 16 games over 500. They are probably doing much better than people thought that they would. Uh, but last night, not a good game for the Rangers. Um, as uh, Bradford got the start, did pretty well, but then the bullpen uh, really let him down last night. The Astros beat the Nationals 6-1. to um, And uh, great pitching performance uh, last night uh, by, uh, uh, by Brown for the uh, – Hunter Brown for the uh, Houston Astros. They also hit four home runs. Uh, Dubon, Tucker, Maldonado, and Chaz McCormick with solo home runs. But, man, it was like – it was uh, milestone night in Houston – Jose Abreu had two hits, so he now has 1,500 hits in his career. Uh, he is the 21st active player to get that point to that point, and the 12th Cuban player ever to do it. Um, Jose Altuve walked uh, with one out in in the uh, the fourth inning, ended up coming around to score. That was the 1,000th run of his career. Uh, he is the fourth player in franchise history to score a thousand. The other guys that have done that in Houston are uh, Jeff Bagwell. Uh, Craig Biggio, who are both in the uh, Hall of Fame, and uh, Lance Berkman. But uh, a great performance by Hunter Brown last night. Uh, four hits, seven scoreless innings, uh, and uh, a, a picks up his sixth win of the season. The Seattle Mariners beat the Marlins, cooled them off a little bit last night. Uh, a, a great start by George Kirby, six innings. Did not give up an earned run. He struck out ten over those six innings. And uh, they take out the Marlins. And by the way, uh, Luis Arias, who at one point was hitting over 400 a week ago, uh, went 0 for 5 last night. His batting average has now dropped to 382. He is 0 for 9 in the series, and uh, he has cooled up, which is why I'm not sure anybody will ever hit 400 again. I'm really not. I'm, I'd be surprised if anybody ever does that. Uh, and the Twins win last night a four run ninth inning, capped off by a two run homer 
by Carlos Correa, who has been struggling this season, but all of a sudden seems to have found his stroke. He has hit uh, three home runs in the last five games, and uh, the Minnesota Twins take out the Brewers. Brewers uh, have struggled. Pittsburgh lost last night, but uh, the Brewers losing uh, keeps Pittsburgh in first place by one game over the Milwaukee Brewers, who have lost six of the last ten. And how about Gary Sanchez? Didn't have a job. Couldn't hang on with the team. Uh, signed a minor league deal with the Padres. They brought him up on May the 30th. So he has been with the Padres for 14 days or 13 days. And in those 13 days, he has six, hit six home runs for the Padres. He hit a three-run bomb last night to help the Padres uh, beat the Cleveland Guardians 6-3. to three. Uh, and, uh, by the way, played catcher and did not have any pass balls, which for him uh, is a heck of an accomplishment. Joe Musgrove got the start for the Padres last night uh, and pitched pretty well, picks up the victory. Uh, he is now 4-2 and two on the season. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow, Internet permitting, uh, with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you with some music for Delbert McClinton this morning. Same kind of crazy as me. That's what I tell my wife. That she's the same kind of crazy as me. That's why we're married. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.